we all have a choice. Will I be ruined by regret or rise above it? Regret comes in all forms. We can all think of missed opportunities or loss. Maybe because of our choices or from the choices of others. But there is one who is at work within us. He takes our brokenness and makes us whole. He builds us. He restores us. Let us keep our eyes and heart on him because he is guiding us on the road back from regret. Now, be honest with me. How many regret the amount of food you ate at Thanksgiving? Let me see your hand. This is church. Be honest. Man, there's a bunch of liars in this place here today. I can tell you that right now. Well, we could stay in regret for the next uh, probably uh, two years as we work our way through the book of Nehemiah, but that kind of goes against what we're trying to do here, and that is uh, move beyond regret. We want to find restoration and recovery, which we're going to talk about here today. So today we're going to look at step number eight. We've been walking through Nehemiah. You can turn there if you have your Bibles with you. We've been looking at, at Nehemiah, and we've been asking ourselves, what are the eight steps to overcoming negative emotions and painful experiences? And you remember what I said the very first week, that as a pastor, I have found the reality to be that people who lose their faith, you know, give up on God, besides just kind of, you know, running, you know, uh, you know, full bore into sin, are people who cannot deal with regret, cannot overcome problems and trials and difficulties. And if I could take this series and put it in a little vitamin that you could kind of take every day, I would do it because I know that as we move down uh, weeks and months and years to come, as we move further on down the road, this is the kind of Bible teaching that we need to really internalize and understand. How do I rise above? How do I overcome difficulties? Because we live in a fallen world where difficulties happen. How many know what I'm talking about? And so we've looked at these eight steps, and I want to just review them. Some of you are with us for the very, very first time, and we welcome you. Uh, in, in step number one, we see that Nehemiah in chapter one of the book of Nehemiah realized he faced the facts that change was necessary, where they were as a nation, as a people, was really bad. Uh, you know, Jerusalem had been sacked, uh, destroyed, the wall was down, they were sitting ducks to the enemy, and he was honest with himself and with God and with others that they had sinned and they were uh, deserving, really, of what had happened. And then as we murk our, our way through uh, chapter one, we see another step, and that is repent. He took ownership. He didn't play the blame game. He took personal responsibility. And then he stepped out with great risk. In his position, he could have been executed for confronting the king. He chose that recovery was worth the risk. He said the status quo is not acceptable. We need to move forward. And so he chose recovery. He risked recovery. And then we see step number four, he chose to rebound. He created a, created a recovery plan. Chapter 2 of Nehemiah is just a powerful, powerful chapter where we look at specificity and detail and systems and design that Nehemiah employed to get back to Jerusalem and get the wall rebuilt. He created a recovery plan. The recovery starts with the first step. He took the first step, which led to the second, the third, and the fourth. Maybe you find yourself in step number four right now. And then step number five, he did the work of rebuilding. He put in the work. 
Uh, he didn't just pray, God, rebuild the wall, and boom, God created the wall out of nothing like he created the universe. God's fully capable, but how many know God often uses us in the rebuilding process? And he said to Nehemiah, I want you to go back. I want you to get going. And so the rebuilding happened brick by brick, gate by gate, section of wall by section of wall. And then as good fortune, or in this case, bad fortune would have it, there was all sorts of opposition when he was trying to do the hard work. He had to choose to overcome opposition. He had to resolve, we are not going to be derailed or defeated by the enemy who are outside the gates, outside the wall, offering all sorts of discouragement and criticism, discouraging the workers, discouraging the people, working against us in every way. He resolved to overcome opposition. As we try to find the road back from regret, we are going to meet opposition along the way. Maybe come in the form of criticism from people, maybe difficult circumstances or fear within. And then, as we talked about last week, there came a point where he chose to refocus off of himself and his mission and put his focus on other people. That was last week. And I think there comes a point when we are trying to overcome our own pain and trauma where we need to get to a point at some point, whenever the right point is, and say, okay, from this time forward, I'm focusing on trying to meet, help, and encourage the needs of other people. Today, we're going to talk about recovery. We're going to talk about restoration. We're going to talk about redemption. We want to keep our eyes on the prize, which is what? Healing and wholeness. We've all had regrets. You know, the bravado of the person that says, no regrets, I have no regrets. Just not true. We all have regrets, every single one of us. But the beautiful thing is Jesus is not only with us in step one and step two, he is with us through all eight steps. No matter what we've gone through, no matter what our regret, no matter what our pain, our trauma, our difficulty, our, our tribulation, our trial, no matter what it is, Jesus cares. He's with us, he lives within us, he walks beside us. Jesus cares. Can I hear a big amen to that? He cares about every area of our life, every concern, every detail, and he wants to help us. And we can recover. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can find healing and I can find wholeness. And I know I'm speaking to a lot of people here today who are just bound by the baggage of life, the regrets of life, the difficulties of life. I've talked to some of you and I know there are many others as well. Now, we looked at uh, these three books over the course of uh, this series. And, and I use these three books. Uh, they're, not, they're not Bible books. They're not even Christian books um, but I love the, the byline, not even the title alone, but the byline. How looking backward moves us forward. That's the idea. How can we learn from the past but not live in the past? We need to move forward. Uh, embrace the possible, the possible of overcoming and growth and advancement. And how longing, uh, sorrow and longing make us whole. We're going to live with bitter and sweet at the same time. The incongruence and ambiguity of both at the same time is hard for us to stomach, but that's the stuff that life is made of. In Daniel Pink's book, he records a uh, world regret survey. He talks about how 105 different countries participated uh, in the survey, and he boiled down all the respondents to four different categories. And I want us just to review these. Let's take a look at the next slide. Foundation regrets, the failure to be responsible, make good decision with money, education, things of that nature. Boldness regrets, the failure to risk more, to try more, to step out and do more. He talked about moral regrets. This one I think is rather intuitive for us. Behaving poorly, making bad, immoral, ungodly decisions. And then connection regrets. 
the failure to prioritize certain relationships in our life and then living to regret it. I like to boil down regret into three categories to make it even more simpler. You know, things that we do to ourselves, you know, disobedience, you know, uh, uh, sinning against God, missing opportunities, making bad decisions, things that other people do to us, you know, act uh, evil toward us, uh, you know, divorce, affairs, all sorts of different things fit into that category, and things that just happen as a part of life. We live in a fallen world where some people get cancer and some people go through hurricanes and some things happen. And all of those three different kinds of regrets or the four previously kind of require a little different energy from us. But we all have to ask ourselves the same question. Am I going to rise above and overcome these negative emotions and painful experiences or am I going to be crushed by them? Nehemiah had to answer that question. In fact, Nehemiah's, you know, regret is an interesting uh, story. And uh, the timeline that you see here on the screen, in 722, uh, the northern kingdom was ransacked uh, by the Assyrians. And the ten northern tribes were uh, taken into captivity, and they never, ever came back. In 586, the Babylonians sacked the southern kingdom, Jerusalem in particular, destroyed the temple, broke down the walls, and the people were taken as prisoners, prisoners of war. You see that a little bit later, Cyrus and the Persians beat the Babylonians and they allow the Israelites to come back and reestablish the southern kingdom. So they come back and, and they rebuild the temple and they restore worship. And then Nehemiah comes on the scene in 430, as you see there, to rebuild the walls. And as I've said every week, in those days, a city without a wall was no city at all. Because your women and children were vulnerable, your livelihood was vulnerable, the temple would be broken down and destroyed again, uh, you couldn't worship freely. I mean, everything was up for grabs. Because enemies were everywhere, prowling, looking for cities that could invade and take over. So the work that Nehemiah had was really, really important. And part of his regret process was to restore Jerusalem by rebuilding the walls. And I want us to come full circle to that idea of recovery and restoration here today. Everybody experiences regret. Everybody. Missed opportunities, bad decisions, sinful actions, regretful incidences. I've been using as a running illustration the story of Evie Ager, who at age 16 was taken to Auschwitz, and her story is so compelling, so abhorrent, so evil, so difficult to digest. Certain chapters are just really grueling and painful. 16 years old. Her mom and dad thrown into the furnace, incinerated. Other relatives murdered. She saw so much death. She went through so much. She said, there's nothing you can do to alter my past, but I have the choice on how to address my future. You know, she's the one that said, don't ever say, hey, my problems aren't all that big because I never was taken as a prisoner to Auschwitz. She says, what you're going through matters. It's important. You need to deal with your pain just like I had to deal with mine. They may be different, but they're no less important. Coming from her, that really, really speaks to me. Here's a young girl, 16 years of age. 
She went back to Auschwitz after three and a half decades. She finally worked up the courage, fought through the fear to go back. And she talks about traveling along the roads that were a part of her death march. And it looked so different because it was, it was green grass everywhere where before it was piles, literally her words, of corpses. She talks about making her way back to Auschwitz finally. And she said it looked so different. Again, green grass and tranquility everywhere you look. She said, I saw none of that when I was a 16-year-old in a dark, you know, rail car. And then she says this. She says, how interesting that back then as well as now, speaking of when she went back to Auschwitz, life existed fairly normally all around the concentration camp. But it was anything but normal for those of us that were there. As I reread that part of the book here this past week, I thought to myself, there are many within our church that kind of feel that way. A lot of people are happy celebrating Thanksgiving. A lot of people are looking forward to Christmas, getting together with family. And yet there are those feeling like, man, my life isn't what I wished it was. I'm living in regret. I'm living in pain. I'm living in uncertainty. I'm living in fear. Everybody around me seems to be moving around uh, normally, like everything's going great, but I am feeling brokenness like I've never felt it before. You know that exists in our community in ways that we don't even begin to understand. She makes her way back to Auschwitz, and she sees the bleakness and the darkness and remembers the death and the stench of burning corpses. And she recounts the numbers. She said, I didn't only go back to Auschwitz for closure for myself. I went back so that I could become more effective in what we talked about last week, the ripple effect. Having emanating from my life an outward focused blessing to people around me. I wanted to pass on my growth and my strength, not my weakness. I wanted to pass on love and not hate, and I wanted to deal with things that I needed to deal with so I could do that. Edie and Nehemiah had something in common. They both chose to rise above their regret and find recovery and find restoration. And today, I want us to think about reaching, reaching for three recovery stages. I want to talk about these three recovery stages in just a moment. I want us to reach for three recovery stages. I want to see if I can explain that effectively here in just a moment. I was thinking about some of my experiences being a pastor uh, here the last couple of weeks, and I found myself focusing on just some of the funerals that I've conducted through the years. And my mind just kind of moved from one to the other to the other of some, you know, exceptionally painful, regret-filled funeral services. Think of one that I did at a uh, little country church up north. As we were getting ready for the service, I'm sitting on the platform and uh, income correctional officers, police officers, bringing a person in an orange jumpsuit down to the front row, chained in the hands and shackled at the feet. A murderer who came to his mother's funeral. And I thought to myself, there's a lot of regret in this story. Lots of regret. I can't help but think of the young man who sat in that chair, that corner chair right there, holding his little infant baby, feeding his little infant baby a bottle 
while I'm conducting the funeral service for the little baby's mommy and that young daddy's wife who died during childbirth. I'll never forget it as long as I live. Regret everywhere you can think of. I've stood at gravesides with little, little boxes for little babies that have died prematurely. I've conducted funeral service for homicides and suicides. And I think of all of the regret and all of the pain and all of the trauma. And I say, can there ever be recovery from that? And the answer is a resounding yes in Jesus Christ. And only through Jesus Christ. Because the brokenness and the pain can be so real and difficult and complete that it's hard to overcome. You may be here today and say, hey, I'm going through something really, really hard. My spouse just said they want a divorce. I just learned of, of uh, you know, my spouse having an affair. I just learned this about my child. I just learned this about my parents. I just learned this about my job. I just learned this from my doctor. I just learned this. How do I recover? How do I move beyond my regret? Three stages. The first stage, at some point, at some point, we need to reach the completion stage. At some point, we need to work through the eight steps reasonably well. And I use those words specifically, reasonably well. It'll never be perfect. Nehemiah finished the wall, and I guarantee it wasn't perfect. You say, Rob, how do you know? You weren't there. Nothing in life is perfect. Nothing. Absolutely nothing in this life is perfect. Everything in the life to come is, but we're not there yet. How many know this isn't heaven? Can I see your hand out there? Good. Not everybody's falling asleep yet. That's great. Notice what it says here. In chapter 6, verse 15 and second, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When the surrounding enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. God had helped them. Nehemiah knew it. All the enemies knew it. All the people knew it. God was for them. God was with them. God had helped them rebuild the wall. And remember this, the rebuilding of the wall was more than just a wall. It represented regret. It represented devastation and defeat and death and captivity and all of those things. The rebuilding of the wall was a necessary part of the process of bringing restoration to Israel. It was huge. Far more than just a wall. We need to work through our regret however long it takes. However long it takes. And you may need to talk to therapists and counselors and pastors and uh, other spiritual uh, leaders and small group leaders and friends and family, whatever it takes. But at some point, at some point, reach, reach for recovery by getting to a point where you say, I am driving a stake in the sand in the ground right here saying, I am done with this issue controlling and dominating my entire life. I am no longer going to obsess over this issue. It doesn't mean I forget about it. It doesn't mean that I don't know it's there. But I refuse to allow this to be the last chapter written about my life. It's a chapter, an important chapter, a painful chapter. But God has more chapters to write about my life, amen? And it's time to move forward. 
The divorce happened, the affair happened, the illness happened, the bankruptcy happened, the mistake happened, and at some point I need to understand that God is not finished with me, he still values me, he loves me, he cares about me, and he wants to use me to bless other people. At some point, it may take three and a half decades, it probably won't take 52 days to rebuild your wall, to complete it. But at some point, at some point, we need to get to the point and say, Lord, I want to get to a place of completion in the sense that I no longer allow this situation, this matter, to dominate my mind, to dominate my thinking, to control my life. We've got to get to that point. Edie, when approaching Auschwitz for closure, said, I can see that the past doesn't taint the present and the present doesn't diminish the past. She was moving forward with full recognition of the past as she moved into her future, and she held the ambiguity and incongruence of both of that together, but she was no longer allowing it to control and dominate her life. I think of the scripture in Philippians 3, 12 through 14, where Paul says, forgetting what is behind, I press on to what lies ahead. He says, this one thing I do, this one thing I do, And friends, there's an encouragement for all of us here. This one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I press on to what lays ahead. We no longer live in the past. We're no longer controlled by the pain of the past. At some point, we look forward. Forgetting what is behind, I press on to what lies ahead. Paul was a Christian killer. You don't want to be remembering and obsessing over that forever. Can I hear a big amen? He had a world to save for Jesus. He had to deal with that at some point and move beyond that and move forward. You and I have things in our life that we have to move forward in. You know what those are. I know what those are for me. We need to move forward. Put that in comparison with the story of Lot's wife. What did Lot's wife do? She looked back and turned what? Into a pillar of salt. I think that's a picture for us. We can be paralyzed by our past or like Paul We can move forward into our future. At some point, you need to decide when that point is for you. But to come to a point of completion. Nehemiah did. Edie did. The second is celebration. Take a moment to commemorate God's goodness in bringing you through. As you come to a point of completion, you drive a stake in the ground and you say, okay, This is it. This circumstance, situation, this pain, I'll never forget it. It's going to be with me forever. But I'm no longer allowing it to dominate my thinking, dominate my life, dominate my relationships. I'm no longer going to obsess over it. I'm no longer going to be overwhelmed by it. I've worked through it. I've grieved. I've processed. I've prayed. I've given it over to the Lord, and he's released me from it. I'm going to learn from it, but I'm not going to live in it. And it's time to celebrate the fact, declarate that fact before God and before anybody else that may make sense. And you may want to do a celebration where you get, you know, close friends together or family. Or maybe you want to just do it you and God. Or or, or maybe there's some other way. Probably you're not going to get together and drop balloons from the ceiling and confetti from the sky and do that kind of thing. Because most of the time when we think about regret, it's personal and it's painful and it's difficult. But at some point, at some point, we complete the process of grieving and working through it, however long that takes. For Edie, it was three and a half uh, decades. For others, it's going to be far shorter than that, fortunately. 
and we complete it, and then we celebrate that God has brought us through. Look what it says here, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. The day is sacred. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Verse 11, be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Verse 12, then the people went away to celebrate with great joy. They celebrated, verse 18. Chapter 12, verse 27, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. They dedicated the fact that the wall was done. It was complete. They celebrated that. I think there's something there for us to think very deeply about. Because here's what I see in the work that I do. People continue to obsess and stir it up and think about it and devolve into reliving the pain over and over again. And some of that is natural, a natural process of grieving. I get that. But I want to just raise the question today, at what point do you feel you've done that and you've completed that part? And at what point can you celebrate that and then move forward so you can be a blessing to your family, to other people, to people that need to find Jesus, etc. I want you to think, I want you to think about that. I want us all to think about that. To be grateful, hopeful, purposeful. Edie goes back to Auschwitz. She's getting ready to leave. And she does one thing before she leaves. She takes a stone from the ground, a little one, a rough gray unremarkable stone, she writes. She says, I squeeze the little stone. In Jewish tradition, we place small stones on graves as a sign of respect for the dead, to offer mitzvah or blessing. The stone signifies that the dead live on in our hearts and in our memories. I leave the stone on a patch of earth where my barrack used to be. Then I utter these final words, goodbye and thank you. Thank you for life and for the ability to finally accept the life that is. Not the life that I preferred, like never going to Auschwitz, my mom and dad not being murdered, executed, and all the rest, but the life that is. And then she says, this time I can leave. I'm no longer a prisoner. I've been liberated. I've been set free. I survived so that I can do work and help other people. I no longer am a hostage or prisoner of anything. I am free. That celebration, as I coin it, of taking that rock and putting it there was her way of celebrating completion. She celebrated that now was time to move on. I think of a story in the Bible in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, where Samuel subdues the Philistines, and here's what he writes. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and he named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. A moment of commemoration, a moment of declaration. God has helped me through. He has healed my heart. He has brought me to a place of wholeness, and I'm not going back. I'm not going back. I'm not saying to be flippant about it and turn around three times and say, Hey, no big deal. I'm saying at some point, find your way with God's help to completion and then drive a stake in the ground and celebrate, celebrate what God has done in your life by bringing healing and wholeness. And that leads me to the final point, and that's comprehension or understanding. Understanding that what happened was very real, but I'm no longer going to let that control me. 
Nehemiah completed the wall. You overcame his enemies and regrets. And he celebrated the goodness of God. But he also had a realism about it all. He had a realism about it all. He understood that what happened to him was real. What happened to his people was real. They sinned against God. They turned their back on God. They were destroyed. They were taken to captivity. Now they're able to come back. They're just trying to rebuild. They're trying to restore. They're trying to recover. And so he carried the reality of what happened with him, but no longer allowed the reality of what happened to dominate him in a negative way. I think this is really important for me. Because we don't just say, well, yeah, this very bad thing happened, so now I just ignore it and, you know, like it never happened. No, like we talked about in week one, we walk with a limp. We have secret scars, private pain, hidden hurts. And it's always with us, but it no longer controls us. Edie didn't say, well, hey, I'm putting this stone down on the ground, and therefore my mother was not executed, my dad wasn't incinerated, my family weren't shot and thrown off a bridge, and all these corpses I didn't see. She doesn't deny reality. She doesn't deny the truth. She's worked through it. She's dealt with it. She's overcome it. So did Nehemiah. Our future is as bright as the promises of God. And yet Nehemiah came to a completion in the rebuilding of the walls, which was more than a wall. He celebrated it, and yet he had a comprehension that the residue of all that they had experienced will continue to be with them as he moves forward. Look at chapter 13, verse 7. He's dealing with real-life stuff. The evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts we won't get into what all that meant, but it wasn't good. Uh, care for the Levites had been ignored, verse number 11. He's got to deal with the fact that there's got to be a lot of learning and recovery that still needs to happen. The desecrating of the Sabbath in verse 17 of chapter 13. Marriages happening outside the faith were bringing ruin to their spiritual uh, condition. That's verse 17, or verse 27, rather. And after a long chapter with all sorts of problems and issues, being laid out, he says over and over again these words, remember me, God. God, I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to put you first. Remember me, God. Look at verse 14. Look at verse 22. Look at verse 29. Look at verse 31. Remember me, God. Show me favor. I'm trying to honor you. I'm trying to put you first. It's not easy. I've got my own pain that I've worked through and continue to work through. And, and now as we move forward in restoration, I've got these other issues that continue to be a reminder of the hard work ahead. Here's the point for me. Deep, real, true regret and pain does not get obliterated from our memory. But no longer does it have to control us. Here's what Edie said. How easy a life can become a litany of guilt and regret. How easily the life we didn't live becomes the only life we prize. The life I really wanted is my parents lived for a long, long time. None of us are prisoners at Auschwitz. I didn't go through any of the. That's what I prize, she could have said. But she says, no, we realize that we cannot be seduced by the, fans, the fantasy that we're in control. None of us are in control. The choice to accept myself as, a, as I am, human, imperfect, the choice to be responsible, to be responsible for my own happiness, to forgive my flaws, to reclaim my innocence. 
to stop asking why did I survive and to function as well as I possibly can to be a blessing to others for the rest of my life. Here's what I understand. We all walk with a limp. We all are cracked mirrors. We all have secret scars. We all experience private pain, hidden hurts. But with God's help, we can find recovery. We can complete the process of working through the grief and pain of our regret. We can celebrate that, take a moment to commemorate and declare, okay, it's complete, I'm celebrating it. And then we move forward, understanding that we still have this pain right up here in this part of our, our heart and in, in our inner being that will never, ever go away. But we have a God who's much bigger than that pain who can help us work our way through it. As we move forward, you know, from this last three years of pandemic, some of you have lost friends. Some of you have lost family. Some families in our church have lost loved ones literally to death. We're all trying to find our way forward, trying to find recovery, trying to find wholeness, trying to find healing. Let me wrap up this series where we started. You see on the screen this picture of a cracked mirror. We hold a mirror and we drop it and it cracks into many different pieces and if you can work with me, dance with me a little bit on this illustration, we can kind of glue that mirror together in a way that is still usable. You know, we can kind of still use parts of it. But the mirror will never, ever be the same. It's got a crack. Our lives are a lot like that. We go through the realities of life, the pain of life, and, and it, it, it stains us, it stings us. You know, we're, we're cracked by it. That doesn't mean we're unusable. It doesn't mean we're not useful. It doesn't mean that God gives up on us. He loves us, he accepts us, and he forgives us. Jesus lives in us, he walks beside us, he supports us, he cares for us. As we close the service, I want us all to stand and I want us to do a couple of things as we close. As we get ready to sing this final song, I want to I want to ask everybody in here just to contemplate what we've been talking about these last eight weeks. And I want today to be a day of completion and celebration for those where that is appropriate. For those of you that want to leave your regret here today, I want you to step out as we sing and just stand at the front of this altar. I want to, I want to provide a closing prayer for you in just a moment. For some of you that say, today is the day. I celebrate completion, finishing. And I want to celebrate that by stepping forward. No longer am I going to allow that circumstance, that painful experience, that regretful ordeal to control me and dominate me. I no longer am going to obsess over it and magnify it in my life. I'm going to allow God to minimize it in my life. I'm going to learn from it, but I'm not going to live in it. I'm going to look to the past to grow forward and go forward. 
I want us to take a minute, everybody together online and even in traditions for just another moment. And I want us to sing this song and then I just want to invite you to step forward. I want to pray a special prayer for you. Today I want to encourage you to bring to completion, to finish, to bring to conclusion. Or I want you to come forward and say, Lord, I want you to help me get to that point. I want you to step out from wherever you are here today and I want you just to step forward. Let's sing this, and then we're going to give a, a closing prayer in just a moment. I invite you to come. May today be a day of redemption, a day of restoration, a day of recovery. Thank you, Lord. We praise your name. We praise your name, Lord. We step out. We, we commemorate. We honor. We demonstrate. God, work in our lives. Deliver us. Deliver us, oh God. Deliver us from those things that stain us and hurt us that are so difficult in our lives. God, I just pray that you move in the lives of people here today. Encourage and strengthen and bless each and every one, God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We pray your blessing upon each and every one. Thank you, Christ. Thank you, Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We surrender, God, our concern. We surrender our hurts. We can send our, our pain to you today, Lord. We give it up. We yield it to you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for everyone. In the main service, those in traditions, those listening online, those who will be listening to the message later this week. I pray today, Lord, will be a day of deliverance, a day of restoration, a day of recovery. God, I pray for those that are committing their regret and their pain and their issues to you today. Remind each and every one of them, Lord, that Jesus is a lover of people and a healer of hearts. For those, God, that are saying today, I bring to completion and conclusion, allowing this particular matter to control my thinking, and I no longer will obsess over it. I reach for recovery by saying, Lord, this is now in your lap. I'm moving forward. May today be a a day of celebration, a day of commemoration, a day of declaration where we say it is finished, it is concluded. And we reach out in recovery, understanding that as we move forward, there'll still be some pain, but we're no longer allowing that pain to be our story, the definition of our life, the last chapter of our life. We accept the freedom of Christ. We receive the healing of Christ. We stand whole in Christ. And as a church, Lord, I pray that we'll reach out with this message to our community. Jesus offers hope and recovery and wholeness and healing. He loves us more than we could ever know. He cares about us more than we could ever imagine. As we conclude this series today, Lord, I pray your blessing upon each and every person here today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
I want to invite those on the line. Our host pastor will close that service. Our traditions will conclude the service there. Uh, I want to invite our prayer team forward. If we can pray with anybody here, we would love to do it. Uh, you are dismissed. God bless you, everybody. God bless you.